welcome to Church of the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Romanos 5, 1 al 5. Así pues, justificados por la fe, tenemos paz con Dios por medio del Señor Jesucristo, por quien tenemos también, por la fe, acceso a esta gracia en cual estamos firmes, y nos regocijamos en la esperanza de la gloria de Dios. Y no solo esto, sino que también nos regocijamos en los sufrimientos. Porque sabemos que los sufrimientos producen resistencia. La resistencia produce carácter aprobado y el carácter aprobado produce esperanza. Verse 5. Y en la esperanza no nos, de, no nos defrauda, porque Dios ha derramado su amor en nuestro corazón por el Espíritu Santo. This is the word of God. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity once again to be here. Lord, we ask that you would move mightily. We thank you for each individual that's here. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. morning. It feels dead in here today. I do not know if you guys are like messed up on tryptophan or what's happening, Um, but welcome. I'm glad that you're here. My name's Kevin. I'm the lead pastor of Church at the Well. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Um, I hope that you were thankful and that you were very giving. That's how it works. Thanksgiving. Um, I have this rule in my house that we don't, we're not allowed to listen to a single Christmas song or decorate until after Thanksgiving. And so if that's not your tradition, you're wrong. Um, I got, there's this uh, station that I listen to on the radio and they started playing Christmas music like a month ago and that's all they play. And I'm like, I'm done with you. Like I can't handle this. Um, but we're moving into the Christmas season, so if you've been coming, you know that we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews, and we're going to take a pause and kind of go through what our Christmas series is going to be. We've entitled Light of the World, and it's going to be an Advent series. We haven't really celebrated like true Advent since COVID here at Church at the Well, and so we're going to do an Advent series, and so today is going to kind of serve as just an introduction to what that means for those of you who are new to Advent. Okay, so Advent basically just means arrival. And interesting facts about Advent, if you've ever gone to a church that practices the celebration of Advent, it has an interesting history. It began a long time ago, like almost 400 BC, or sorry, 400 AD. Um, and the, the concept behind it was to get, get people ready for baptism. It didn't start out as a Christmas celebration. It was this kind of profession of faith publicly where they would take people through these different characteristics and traits and um, the beautifulness of the gospel and then prepare them to be publicly baptized, which we do here as well. And then over time when society decided and especially in the Western culture decided that we were going to celebrate Christmas on December 25th, which you guys know is probably not when Jesus was born, right? That's just when we've decided to celebrate. Um, This idea of Lent for building up to Easter, there was something that was needed, they felt to build up toward Christmas, and so Advent became this season where it was the anticipation of celebrating the coming of the Savior. And so Advent is divided into several kind of themes, uh, hope, peace, joy, and love. the the aspects of what the gospel brings to our life and what Jesus brings to us. And so there's this tradition that every week we will talk about a different one of those themes and then we will light a candle in response to um, the light of the world entering our dark society, culture, lives. Um, And it's kind of a beautiful tradition. And so if that's gonna be your first time doing it, we will begin that next week. 
Um, and then also we have these little books that we want you to take home today. Um, Matt and Julie will be passing them out in the back. It's just basically an opportunity for you to go through some devotionals beginning Friday, um, which I believe is the first, all the way through the season of Advent. Um, and it's our gift to you. We just hope that, the perp- that you'll accept the purpose of Advent as this understanding that we're building up to this celebration. And so similar to what we do with Joyful Surrender, if you were here for, Christ- or for Easter, then we'll be doing that for Advent as well, okay? For Christmas. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter five, we're gonna kind of dive in here. Um, begins this way in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This specific verse is a little bit overwhelming. And when I told you that what I was attempting to do today is bring you to a place where we're getting prepared for what Advent is supposed to symbolize for us, um, it's the justification that we have to the Father through Christ that is the point of everything. And so as I was reading this passage and and thinking through like what would be a good introduction to Advent, um, I kept reading this verse over and over and over. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith. The idea of justification is this concept of being made righteous. And in order to be justified and come to a a place where righteousness is needed, we first have to have an issue that has to be resolved. And I, I think when we look at this idea of Christmas and what's approaching and the celebration and why we're doing Advent and probably my horrible explanation of it because it's kind of emotional, um, I don't think we understand well enough that before Christ, we were at war with our Creator. We were literally at war. Our Creator made us, gave us choices, decisions. We chose to follow other things and shun the Father and what He has created for us and do it our own way, creating idols that we sing about today. And this brings a, a, a destructive relationship to our Creator, and it puts us at odds with who He is and what He has for us. And as a result, we call this sin, it separates us from Him for eternity. And now we talk about that a lot. Like if you come to Church at the Well, I'll say that just about every single Sunday, because it's important for us to grasp that. Instead, In order to fully understand the gospel, you have to first come in understanding of your own depravity. You have to first get to a place where you say, okay, I need a savior. But I don't know that we spend a whole lot of time really grasping the war that we have going on with the one that created us and why it's so severe. This idea of justification is needed for us to actually have relationship and reconciliation back to the Father. When some of the songs we're singing today are are songs that um, Church at the Well wrote way back when, and um, the, the words 
are overwhelming to think that God is both love and God is both just. And we love this concept of Jesus or God being love, but we hate the idea of him being just unless we're wanting him to show justice to others. Then we're all for it, right? The gospel doesn't fully hit home until we realize the depth and the disparity of our sin. It's, it's overwhelming to think that um, we can't help but sin. Later on in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul tells us that when we were born, we were actually slaves to sin. That there's chains that tie us to sin. That the good that we do and attempt to do in this world outside of Christ is not actually good because it doesn't glorify Jesus. It's just works. In fact, the Old Testament describes our good works as filthy rags, which is pretty graphic when you really study it. Until we really understand the need for justification, we're not going to grasp the celebration of the Savior coming. And I think for me, I was processing this over and over. I understand this concept, but living it out is a little bit different. I think growing up, my process was, okay, I would do something wrong, and then I would have my dad or my mom here, and then they would kind of do whatever it was. Things were different back then, right? So out would come the belt or whatever it was, and um, I would get punished, and then they would try to guide me through that punishment to do something different or something better or change a behavior, right? It was, okay, Kevin, you ran out in the street, you almost got hit by a car, so here's the punishment, and then that'll help you think to look both ways before you cross the street. It could be that simple, but it can also be much more severe. And I think that what we do is we process that as children and then as adults, we, we kind of take that same concept and we place it upon God and that's how we think about sin. But that's not actually how it works. My parents, it, it wasn't this, this thing where I did something wrong and then my parents were like, you know, you owe us an apology and I have to forgive you. It was typically a, a love from my parents in an attempt to change a behavior, right? What's different about that when it comes to the father is that the father hates sin so much and he created us to live for him. So when we are outside of that creation and we are living for ourselves and we are worshiping idols and we are completely ignoring who he is and what he has done, there's a need for us to actually be forgiven. He can't just turn his head and say, oh, you're good and I need to correct some behaviors. He doesn't just say, oh, well, you know, you weren't doing good and now I'm just going to kind of tweak some things in your life or I'm going to throw the lightning bolt or I'm going to create a turmoil that's going to cause you to behave differently. That's not enough. Like 
oftentimes I get asked the question, because I think it's because of the way we think when it comes to our parents, is, well, why doesn't God just look at me and then go, okay, I lo- I'm loved, so I just forgive you? Like, why is there even this need for all of this thing in the gospel? And the answer to that question is, because God is just. When you sin against somebody, when you sin against a holy God, there is a penalty for that sin. There's a price to pay. There's a, it says in scripture, the wages of sin is death. What, what is, what the price to pay, the wage, we all love wages, right? When we complain about them all the time, like we need more wages, right? Bring them in. I'm, I'm, we're working and what we get in return for that work is wage. And it's fascinating that the Apostle Paul actually uses that same terminology that we understand to say the wages that you get for working on your own is death. Why? Because that's what we've earned. It, that's what we've worked for. And when you process it that way, you realize that a just God who has been sinned against no matter how much love he has, would not be just if he just went, it's okay, I just need to change some behavior. There's a cost to pay. When Jesus was on the cross, he uttered a couple of words. One of the words that he uttered in English was, it's, it's paid, it's, it's done. The word that he actually used was the word to telestai, meaning it's paid in full. What he was describing was this transaction that was taking place. That the justice of God has been paid for through the person of Jesus. And as a result, as a result of what Jesus did, as the the result of the payment that he made, we come back to this verse and we begin with the word, therefore. Since we have been justified by faith, since we place our faith and trust in Jesus alone and what he has done and the payment that he made for our justification, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The war is over. Do you get that? Like you're at enmity with your creator and it's the justification that was purchased for you through the acts of Jesus on the cross. Through his death, his life, his death, his resurrection. The war in faith in Christ, the war that you have with God is over. It's over. It doesn't require you to do anything. It doesn't require you to give of your money. It doesn't require you to give of works. It doesn't require you to behave certain ways. Jesus didn't die so that you would just change behavior. He died so that you would be justified in the eyes of the Father. Justification is to be made righteous, meaning an individual who was lost in complete darkness, who is death, moves to life. You're through the righteousness that is given to us by Jesus. It's 
overwhelming to process this. And if, I'll say it again, if we don't get this, Christmas doesn't have the same meaning. It's really hard to celebrate if you don't truly grasp what you're celebrating. You're celebrating the fact that Jesus came to bring justification to those who place their faith and trust in him. It's overwhelming. You're cel- we, we look at the advent. We look at the coming of Jesus as this amazing miracle to allow us to be reminded of the justification that we've been given and the celebration of the fact that the war that we have with God is done. That's beautiful. The crazy thing is that when this justification occurs through faith, it does change us. Hey, it's cliche because I say it a lot, but Jesus says, I'll take you as you are because you can't do anything to change yourself anyway. Isn't that beautiful? I'll take you as you are because what are you going to do anyway? It's, it's, it's weird to say, well, he'll take you as you are. Well, of course he will because there's nothing you can do to change yourself without him. You're a slave to sin. You're at war with God. So there has to be something that creates a truce. There has to be something that brings peace. And we can't do that. Only Jesus can. And then in the process of this justification, as we work through this passage, what I'm wanting you to get out of this is if you can understand that your war with God is over, then the works that we do, the sacrifices that we make, my life first, Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires to follow me, take up your cross daily, becomes not a motivation of guilt or need, but pure desire out of gratitude and love. And that changes everything. It changes everything. Think, think about like a relationship that you have where it feels like there's war. I don't know what that is for you. It's just like, man, it's just war, 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 war. And then think about when the resolution comes and there's a peace in that and how you feel. And if we elevate that to our creator to say, man, There's nothing I can do to stop this war. There's nothing I can do to not perpetuate the war, but through my faith in Jesus, the war ends, and as a result, there's peace. This idea of God through our Lord Jesus Christ is going to be key as we keep looking through the rest of this passage. But if we move on to verse 2, it says this, through Him we also have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Justification in Christ brings some things to us. And this is where things get nuts. Because it doesn't, once again, God doesn't just go, all right, people are a mess. Jesus, 
go take care of this and justify them. And now we sit back and we're like, oh, thank you. We're justified, right? If it's, 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 he's like, it's, it's almost like he goes, you know what? Here's the justification, but then here's the representation of my love outside of that justification as I give you more gifts. It feel, I almost like, used an infomercial, like, but it's so much bigger than that, so that feels so small. You know, it's that if you act now, right? But that's not how this works. <laughs> it's like, I'm gonna justify you through faith in Christ, but then I'm gonna give you more stuff. There's more stuff that I have for you. It's not just the justification. Remember, he's just and he's love. And he says, because you're justified and there is no more war, it's not just peace that you get. So I guess what I'm, what I'm wanting to help you understand through this introduction is to say that there are gifts given to you. We'll call them Christmas gifts. Because they come because of Jesus' advent. Right? So faith in Jesus brings justification and the war ends because we have peace with God. Then we read in verse 2, through him we also have attained access by faith. You have access to the creator. I don't understand this. This is where things get really crazy. You justified me through faith in Jesus and his work, and now you want me to have access to you? Like, don't you remember what you had to do? Don't you remember who I am? And he would say, no, because you've been justified. I see you through the blood of Jesus. It's like a filter. You are righteous. Your, your penalty has been paid. It's been paid for. So whatever sins you're going to commit today have been paid for. It's, there's, no, there's no punishment being awaited. And that's where things get really interesting because he says, look, you don't seem to understand. You don't fully grasp justification or you would celebrate more. And you don't seem to grasp that you have access to me because you would come to me more. Through justification, we actually have access to the Creator. You you can talk to God whenever you want. I was sharing with somebody recently that one of the coolest things in Scripture for me, like I said, I geek out on Scripture a bit, I love it, but one of the coolest representations, I'm visual, is when Jesus dies on the cross, there's a, a curtain in the temple that's torn, right? And this curtain is not like that curtain. Like, actually, I probably couldn't tear that anyway. It's pretty thick. But the curtain was like thick. It, it was designed to make sure that the Shekinah glory of God, the representation of His glory that was provided through the Ark of the Covenant was separated from his people as this symbol of you have no access to me. 
And if you study the Old Testament sacrificial system, it's fascinating because once a year, this guy, the high priest, would have to go in and offer atonement or a sacrifice to the Lord. And it was crazy what he had to do. There's like writings that say that he had this bell on the bottom of the hem of his, what, I don't even know what they call it, that they wore, robe. And he would shake it every once in a while and they would have this rope that was tied around his foot because if he did something wrong, he would die instantly. And so if they stopped hearing the bell, they would drag him out. Like this one individual, the high priest, was approaching the Shekinah glory of God by coming to the Ark of the Covenant to offer a sacrifice. And in that sacrifice, he would pour blood on the mercy seat of the Ark, and it would say that God wouldn't forgive the people of their sins, he would push it aside. Because New Testament makes it, and the Old Testament makes it very clear that animal sacrifices aren't enough for the sins of mankind. So it's kind of pushed aside, right? But people had no access to this. It's like when you saw the temple, what it reminded you of is that God resides in that temple, both metaphorically and because that's where he decided that he was going to have his Shekinah glory where he was gonna manifest himself to the people and I have no access to him whatsoever. If, even if I can get as close as I want, that curtain prevents me from talking to him. When Jesus dies on the cross, it says that that curtain was miraculously ripped as if God grabbed both ends of the curtain and tore it. And then he says, hello. <laughs> There's access. You have access to the Shekinah glory of God. The justification that's given to us by Jesus removes the barriers between us and God. There's no longer an intermediary. There's no longer a separation. There's no longer, well, I have to go through the high priest. Jesus is the high priest. There's no longer this need to say, I've got to do all of this stuff. No, you can just have access to him. It's probably one of the saddest things in Christian culture when you talk to somebody who claims to be a Christ follower and you ask them about their prayer life and they're like, oh, I don't pray. And I'm like, what? You don't realize that Jesus justified you so you would have access to the Father. That's like winning the lottery and never cashing in the ticket. It's like, well, I know it's there and I'll just set it aside, right? I, when you think about the fact that you have access to God through your justification of Jesus, are you kidding? Like, what does that mean for you? Access to God. He desires to be with you not because of your works, but because you've been justified. <laughs> I always have this thing in my head still because I'm a human being and I live in messed up world and sin-cursed body where I'll do something that disappoints me in sin and then I think that my access to God might be denied. And then I'm dependent upon the Holy Spirit reminding me that that's a lie from the pit of hell. 
that nothing, nothing, nothing prevents my access to God because I'm justified in Christ. Nothing. Your sin doesn't, my sin doesn't. You have access to God whenever Beautiful. Merry Christmas. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hope. I have a, a niece I told you recently who was in a car accident and, um, and she has issues with her hand. And I've, I've explained all this before and I thank you for praying for her. But one of the things that I, I keep processing through is just as long as there's hope you can function right it's just you you need hope when when you feel hopeless everything feels like it's over like when you feel like there is nowhere for me to go stalemate there is nothing there is no there's nothing to do here there's there's no hope that's when life begins to get very dark and very heavy right Hope is an ability to see past a circumstance and know that something good can come. That's hope. Hope is this ability to look at a circumstance and believe wholeheartedly that there's actually relief in the future. That's hope. Prior to justification in Christ, there's no hope. You realize that, there's none. There's no hope because if you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can't work for it. Therefore, you are hopeless. Through justification in Christ, one of the Christmas presents that we're given is the ability to hope no matter what happens. Why? Because our ho- we're going to talk about hope in one of the themes, but just as a, a little teaser Hope is, hope is, it's, it's an emotion, but it's grounded, You're, the, the, the faith that you place in a hope is dependent upon what that faith is being placed in. Meaning, the stronger the hope you have, and you know this from experience, if you have a big hope, that means that you're placing it on something that is probably sure. I'll use a lottery again. So if you're saying, I am in huge debt, and I'm gonna place my hope on winning the lottery. Okay, that's not a lot of hope. I'm gonna tell you right now, you're probably not gonna win. Right, the odds are very low. But if you place your hope in that, and every week when I go to the little store by my house to buy whatever it is, milk or whatever it is, I always see these people in there and they're buying thousands of dollars of lottery tickets. And I think, wow, your hope is in this, but it's, the object of your hope is very weak. But when your hope is placed in something that's very strong, changes. What if your hope was in Christ? The, the gift is that is not just the feeling of hope, the gift is the object of hope. The gift is Jesus himself. I have hope in Jesus because everything that he says is true. 
I have hope in Jesus because I know that he sits at the right hand of the Father. I have hope in Jesus because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. I have hope in Jesus because he is my justifier. It's the object of the hope that is the most important. It says here that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This elevates it to a whole nother level. And as a good Reformed theologian, and we talk about the glory of God a lot, I will tell you this, that the idea that we get to hope in the glory of God, which can never be thwarted, is overwhelming to me. Because God will be glorified. I can't stop that, and neither can you. Neither can the enemy. The enemy thought he won when Jesus was dead, and God's like, nope, just wait three days. Watch what happens. You're so defeated. The, the glory of God can't be thwarted. He will always be glorified, which means we actually have the ability through our justification in Christ to place our hope in something that was always secure. What is that? The glory of God. It's why when we pray at our greatest moments of hope, Lord, just pray that you would be glorified in whatever happens. That's a hope. But it goes beyond a hope in some ways because of the object with which we're hoping in. It's a crazy thing to think about. That's, what a gift. You have access to the Father through justification in Christ. You, you have hope through justification in Christ. And since we don't understand the value of hope so much, it continues in verse three, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. This is Christmas present number three. You're justified and nothing can remove that. You have access to the Father and nothing can remove that. You have hope that can never be put to shame because of the object that that hope is in. And here we see that that hope can never be thwarted because even the circumstances of life can't overcome the hope of Jesus. Amen. Christmas turns everything upside down, if you'll let it. it. It takes everything that the world says is horrible and impossible and says, there's hope found in it. Meaning, the world will say, do everything that you can to avoid suffering. The gospel says, you're going to suffer, and in that suffering, there's going to be some development, and as you develop, you're actually gonna become a better Christ follower, which is going to increase your joy and your hope. It's crazy to think about. It allows like, everything to change, right? So let's walk through this just really quickly. It says that suffering produces endurance. All right, obviously the easiest analogy in all of this is running a race. That's why Paul uses it. There's other analogies we could use, but the longer you run, the longer you can run. You have to put yourself, if you wanna run further, you have to put yourself into a bit of suffering. Oxygen depletion. You have to get to a place. If you just keep running the same distance over and over and over, you won't run farther because you won't be able to breathe. 
You have to push it. You have to cause suffering to your body. Typically when I'm running, my wind is good, my legs give out because I'm old. Like that's my problem. So if I want to run further, I have to get my legs to a place where they'll keep going as I want to go further. And the only way to do that is to push. You have to push through the pain. You have to push through the suffering. You have to push through the lack of oxygen. You have to find ways to slow your heart down and just keep going because suffering is going to produce endurance. Now let me explain something really quick. You can't have endurance without suffering. And this is where the gospel changes everything. Because when you realize that you can't have endurance without suffering, then you will actually find some of your moments with your access with with God will be, Lord, maybe I need to suffer a little more so I can have a little more endurance. That is crazy. You see, see what ends up happening here? Your suffering now doesn't become a ramification of your sin. Your suffering can actually become an opportunity to grow in Christ. It's crazy. Lord, bring a little suffering so that my endurance will increase. I want to run further. Pretty cool. And endurance produces character. What's character? Character is like moral fiber, right? That's what character is. It's, it's, character is revolving around this idea of what is a conviction for you, right? It's beyond morals because there's morals. It's, this is, these are my, my list of rules that me and the Lord have developed knowing who I am and what my tendencies are and so on and so forth that I'm going to ch- choose to live by as I glorify Jesus. However, it goes beyond that because it, character produces conviction. Conviction is basically just a belief that you hold so severely that you have to act on it. If you want to know if something is a conviction, then all you have to do is go, am I living it? If you're not, it's not a true conviction. Convictions have to be acted on. I believe this so much that I have no choice. I have to act. I have to act. That's a conviction. Character is this combination of the morals that you live by and the convictions that you've been given and this ability by the grace through the justification of Jesus to live the way that the Lord is asking you to to live. That's character. So we have suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Why does endurance produce character? Why is it that the further that you run, the more developed your character becomes? Because you go through more. When you're willing to allow the Lord to mold you through suffering and endurance, it develops your character because you see more, you experience more, you process through more. Your life becomes, you become wiser. <laughs> right? you, you begin to employ the gifts of the Spirit in a different way. Why? Because you're wanting to see Jesus glorified, not you. And then He impacts your character. So you go, I stopped doing that. Why? Because I love Jesus. And by His grace, He is changing my character. 
character development, moral fiber, however you want to describe it. It's, it gets down to the heart. It's like the suffering impacts us, the endurance challenges us, and then the character building gets into us. If we're going to keep going with the running analogy, it's I'm winded as I go through the suffering. I have more endurance so I can run farther, but now I have to run even farther so there's more suffering, but the lessons that I've learned in my previous distance running have changed the way I behave internally so that I'm ready for the next bit of suffering that's gonna push me to the next character level. Uh, There's a fancy word for this, it's called sanctification. It, It means you're being set apart. That God's literally going, you're part of this world, but you're mine, and I'm yours, and I'm setting you apart slowly so that you bring more glory to me. It's a beautiful thing. And then it says endurance produces character, and character produces what? Hope. Why? Because if we look at this from a spiritual concept, the greater your character, the more you're gonna be looking at Jesus, the more he becomes the object of your life, the more hope you will have. Merry Christmas. And hope can never be put to shame. Now, I need to explain this for just a second because in some ways, if you misinterpret this, you're gonna miss it. Since the object of your hope is what's most important, then it's the object of your hope that's going to put you to shame or not. So here's the reality. I have placed my hope in things that have put me to shame. So have you. When we place our hope in something that is temporal, when we place our hope in something that's fleeting, when we place our hope in something that promises more than it can deliver, then it puts us to shame. Why? Because we preach the things that we have hope in and then over time we realize that there was actually no hope there at all. So the object of our hope becomes a failure in our character. It's not true hope. It's fascinating when you go through this process, this idea of suffering and endurance and character and hope, and you realize that we've all gone through that process for things that have put our hope in something that would bring us to shame, it's, it's frustrating. Let me give you an example. I put my hope, I'm, I'm wanting to put my hope in, I'll just keep using the same analogy simple, the lottery. So I'm suffering by spending more money on tickets. More money is going in, more money's going in, more money's going in. And then I keep losing and I keep getting disappointed, but I keep trying to endure. And ultimately, you will find yourself broke (laughs) if you continue the race. And the result is what you were placing your hope in brought you shame. Now, this gets much more complicated and much more difficult when it's not something as obvious as that. When it's in a person, 
when it's in a system, when it's in a job, when it's in your finances, when it's in ministry. We end with this, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I don't know what gift we're on, but here's another gift, the Holy Spirit. God's love gets poured into your hearts through the person of the Holy Spirit. It says that when we come to faith in Jesus at our point of justification, what what does that mean? It means that I've put my faith and trust in Jesus alone. Kevin Scott, dirty, rotten sinner, messed up hopeless, at war with God, puts his faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Some things happen. I'm justified. I'm adopted. And the Holy Spirit enters me. The Holy Spirit becomes, resides in every justified human being as a temple. And it says that one of the most amazing benefits of having the Holy Spirit in you is that you get to experience God's love at its greatest potential. I find it fascinating that this is how Paul writes this. He doesn't say you get to experience God's justice and love at its greatest potential. Why? Because he's already argued that you've been justified. So after justification, what do you get to experience? The love of God to its fullest, if you would choose to do that. (coughs) Meaning, this is why when we blow it, we don't feel like we need to earn justification because it's already been paid for. We repent, acknowledging sin, turning to Jesus, but Jesus is open-armed. You have the ability to repent because of the love that the Holy Spirit reminds you of God in your heart. Like, like repentance becomes a gift grounded in the love of God. Because repentance, the fact that we have the ability to go, Lord, I blew it again, and I'm going to turn back to you, means that he loves you. That's phenomenal. It's overwhelming. It's Like the love of God that is represented to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just say you have access to me. He says I'm going to live in you. I'm going to display my love to you on a daily basis. I'm going to explain my, I'm going to show you my love when I cause you peace and sleep. I'm going to show you my love when I cause you rest. I'm going to show you my love when you blow it, but I'll never abandon you. I'm going to show you my love in that you're constantly being reminded of your justification and therefore your relationship that you have with me. I'm going to show you of my love that no matter what's going on in your life, you have access. There's the love of God. I mean, I I told you beginning, we, we like the idea of God It's love, but then again, I think we also corrupt this one. There's not a single person in this room who has ever experienced unconditional love outside of Jesus. And I'm just gonna tell you right now, just so you know, you're never going to find it outside of Christ, ever. 
And here's what happens. Because we're children, <laughs> we, we tend to place our experience of love and what we've experienced with people onto the Father and assume that's the love that's being referenced here. And therefore, we blow right through justification and go, I have to earn it because everything's conditional. If I don't, they won't. I have to do this or I'm not gonna get loved. I'm, I have to do this or I'm not gonna feel loved. I have to do this, I have to behave a certain way, I have to act a certain way, I have to do certain things because that's what maintains this love. And in Christ, the love that we experience is unconditional, meaning not only can you not do anything to earn it, but you already possess it. It's not like you go, well, in my sanctification process, God chooses to love me more. No. In Christ, he already loves you as much as you're going to be loved. <laughs> you have all of it. You, there's no performance here. There's no, it's there. It's, it exists. The question is, do you tap into it or not? The question is, do you access it? It's not a question of whether it exists or if it's there, it's there. It's, I, this is the craziest thing about this whole process is we put conditions on ourselves that God doesn't put on us. That's crazy. We put all of these things like, God, oh, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, everybody in this room at some point in sin has said, I don't know if I'm lovable enough for God. And here's, here's the answer to that. You're not. You're not. You never will be. That's why Jesus came. Because he is. So take what he gives you. Merry Christmas. This is the importance of Advent. As we go through this series, one of the things I want to keep coming back to is that the light of the world pierced the darkness. The justification of Jesus is what we celebrate. You are justified in Christ. You are not justified without him, but you are justified with him. And as a result, this produces celebration. It produces conviction in the ass. I'm learning, I guess maybe I'm getting older and wiser, I don't know. But my definitions begin to change over time. And one of the things I felt like conviction was for me when it came to like being convicted of something is I had a hard time disassociating that from guilt. So typically what I would find is my motivation to do something was grounded in guilt. Even though I didn't process it that way, when I look at it now, I go, that's what it was. I'm, I'm a Kevin, you're a Christ follower, so you have to behave certain ways. And if you don't, then you're gonna feel guilty about not behaving those ways, and that's gonna create a problem for you. And when you're motivated by something like guilt, what I've learned is guilt is a bottomless pit. And you can never do anything to actually fill it. You just, because you, it's all performance-based. So you, I feel guilty and then I feed 
that emotion and that feeling to try to remove the guilt, but then I realize that it, instead it grows. <laughs> there's a, there's a, a thinking that has to change here. Instead of being motivated by guilt, Christ followers should be motivated by the love that's given to us through the representation of the Holy Spirit by the justification and faith of Jesus. Love is our great motivator. Like actual love. The love of God motivates us. When it's not guilt and it's love, things change. Do you know what happens? You become less judgmental. One of the things that's interesting about guilt is we expect everybody else to sense and feel and feel just as guilty as we do. And when they don't, then that becomes judgment. You should feel guilty for that. So let me be your Holy Spirit and pour a bunch of heaping guilt on you, right? And then that is judgment. It's, we, we still say all the time, I, I can't be somebody's Holy Spirit for them. But if we're motivated by love, everything changes. I, I see that you're struggling with something and I love you enough to walk through that with you. Why? Because Jesus is walking through it with me every day. And he doesn't stop. There's so much of a lack of the understanding of the justification that we have in Christ that prevents these gifts from being totally realized by God's people. And that's why when we look at hope and peace and joy and love, Advent is supposed to remind us that all of those have to be defined and realized through the justification that we have in faith in Jesus, not through our human experience and disappointment. So this Christmas, that's what we're attempting to do. We're gonna reprogram, redefine, understand these aspects of the gospel through the lens of justification instead of through the lens of your circumstances and experiences. Because your circumstances and experiences may not change, but the lens with which you look at them can. And it's either going to produce hope or despair. If it's Jesus, it's hope. If it's not, it's despair. Every week we take communion here. Um, as we participate in communion, the process behind this is to be reminded of the cost of our justification. It's free, but it doesn't come to us with no cost. It, Jesus paid it all. Right? So the cost of our justification is a cost that Jesus freely paid and willingly paid, but it was a cost. And one of the ways that we're reminded of the beauty of the gospel and the importance of our justification is to be reminded that we've been purchased at a price. And that Jesus did that willingly, out of love. So. Sarah's gonna come up, we're gonna sing a couple of songs. Um, the elements are here.
So I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in here. I don't know like if we need to reprocess Christmas or if we need to really like engage our minds in a space where I'm going, I need to, to really understand justification better or maybe I need to grab hold of some of these Christmas gifts that Jesus brings and celebrate them on the regular or what it is. But I do know this. When we come in contact with God's word, it's not intended to be void in our life. It's intended to make change. And here's the cool thing. You have access to whatever change you want because you're justified in Christ. (laughs) Represented through the elements. Um, If you're here and you're not a Christ follower, meaning you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I mean, if you've never done that, like just hear me for just a moment. You are not justified. You are not justified. You have to pay the cost. You have to pay it. It hasn't been paid for you. Therefore, you are still at war with your creator and that's why you feel the way that you feel. That's why you feel like you're constantly on this circle that keeps running because you're attempting to accomplish something that you can't possibly accomplish. And everything that you put your hope in causes you to be shamed. So I love you enough to tell you this, you you don't have to live that way. That's why we celebrate Christmas. For Christ followers, it's celebrating the justification we've been given and the gifts that we've been given in Christ. It's also an opportunity to say, these gifts can be yours also. It's just a matter of putting your faith and trust in Jesus. So do that. If you're here and you don't know Christ and you're wanting to respond in a certain way, I would encourage you, just turn to the person next to you and say, do you know Jesus? I say, yes, can we have a conversation or can we pray or whatever you need to do, but don't come up and fake some religious act thinking that God's just gonna smile. We've already discovered that that's, there's no justification in these elements. They represent a justification that's already been accepted by those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. For your church, I just challenge you, let's rethink some of these things. Think about the justification that you've been given. What would it look like to live your life understanding that you're not at war with God? But that you're in allegiance with Him. What would it look like for you to not live for your glory but actually focus on His? What stresses would be removed? What anxieties would be relieved? What circumstances would be viewed differently? God, thank you for your word. Lord, to attempt to describe something as amazing as Advent and the gift of Jesus' birth is impossible. I can't do it as a human being. I don't have the verbal skills or the language to to express it, let alone comprehend it fully. What I do know is that for your church, through the justification of Jesus and faith, the Holy Spirit lives in us and can take all of these truths and make them a reality in our life. So Lord, I ask right now that as we 
look forward to this Christmas season and the decor and the excitement and the celebration that we would be reminded that our true celebration is in the justification of Jesus. That we have been truly justified and we are no longer at war with God. Lord, remind us as we celebrate to accept the gifts that you've given us to define things like peace and love and hope and joy through your eyes and not through our experiences. And Lord, I pray right now for anyone in this room, and I know there's probably no exception, but for those who are truly just feeling overwhelming suffering, Lord, that in you, you would turn that suffering to hope because they're justified. Lastly, I ask, Lord, there's anyone in this room who's never put their faith and trust in you who is not justified and is currently at war with you I pray that you would regenerate their heart that you would give them the courage and boldness to have the conversation and that that this Christmas might be a celebration for them as well Lord we love you we're grateful for what you do we pray all of this in his name amen